0: Candace Acola King, everybody. Hi. Um, I knew you as Candace Acola. I know. The King is a very, uh, not that new of a thing. It's not but that it's new, new to me. It's new to you. It's yeah, new to me. I feel
1: like I kind of upgraded a little bit. Yes, I would like yeah. that. Just a little casual Just a upgrade. Little
0: Candace King. You're now royal.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm the queen to my king oh that's so cute yes it's very adorable but
0: we were just uh talking about um i was explaining to her as i've explained a million times on this show how i got into this podcast and and i was just gonna say i honestly don't know much about
1: being bipolar i the extent of it that i know is I think maybe seeing like a celebrity on People magazine cover saying, I'm bipolar with like this beautiful photo and then just like still photos of their movie career and then (laughs) just like a few quotes on their experience. But I don't really know what it entails at all. So I think it's nice that you're opening up a conversation that's more than just a clickbait sentence or just... Or just something... Not not that people, I think, come out in any form to make it a clickbait statement. But it's just a better understanding. Because mm-hmm. I honestly don't know much about it at all. Well,
0: I'll tell you, I hate to shame people. But there are people that use it as clickbait. And that's just the honest truth. It's become a very hot topic. It is a popular hashtag right now. Um And I think that that was another reason why I wanted to do this and I wanted to be open and honest about it because I have seen people who have great influence um, on others through social media and just through having um, a large voice And they're using it just because it's popular and it's going to get them more followers and it's going to get them more likes. But they're not actually getting to the truth of the matter. And I think social media is also really like messing with people who are undiagnosed. And just in general, I feel like kids are are very different. I have a very love-hate relationship with social media because I'm all about the technology and I think it's great that we're growing. But then there's a part where it's so evil and like... There's this darkness that even someone like me who is medicated, is comfortable with talking about mental disorders, still every single day will look at something and be like, ah, oh shit. Like, this is not, this doesn't make me feel good, you know?
1: It doesn't make you feel good. Or, yeah, yeah, I'll say, I'll see things that don't make me feel good. It zaps my energy. Time just goes away. And,. And then I, and then nothing fixes it. Mm-mm. And then I just find myself, I was trying to write an email the other day and I'd like finish the email and without even realizing it, I'd already clicked like the Instagram button. And I'm like, why? I didn't even open, there's nothing to yeah. see. There is <laughs> nothing to refresh, nothing to see. Um, and I know what you mean about kind of misdiagnosing yourself, jud like based on the idea of what you hear other people say and mm-hmm. how they say it. And I was in. Enth- Therapy last year, and I came to my therapist, and I was like, I had a panic attack, and started talking about it, um, which is what you do in therapy. Of course. I, like, I'm all, I love therapy, yeah. and <laughs> she stopped me, and she's like, you didn't have a panic attack, and I was like, no, 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 I did. Let me tell you, I, and it was not an enjoyable experience. I was definitely crying. I was short of breath. I like couldn't. Catch myself, I needed to like count to ten and calm myself down. And she was like, Yeah, but that's not like a full on panic attack. You gotta like reframe mm. and it wasn't. Like I was I was I was emotional. I was upset, mm-hmm. but I recognized my emotions and I was able to calm myself down. And there are varying degrees of that. And she's like, You have to like that is a really heavy term that you can't just like throw around casually. Right. And it's true. But you also didn't know. And I didn't know. um, But it's nice to, like, it was nice to talk about it with someone who could say, no, that's not what it is. And me being like, okay, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I do need to dial it back (laughs) a little bit. How were you able to
0: calm yourself down?
1: Uh, Just breathing and knowing that the moment will pass. Right. And also feeling the feelings... And not being scared of that. And uh, and just kind of breath is like such a powerful yeah. tool that I don't think any of us utilize enough. Mm-hmm. Um, myself
0: included. I find myself holding my breath all the time. But everything that you... It's its so funny to me. Everything that you just said to do that that brings you down and gets you back to reality is literally exactly what you're supposed to do when you're in the middle of a panic attack. Yeah? Yeah, so I mean, you may not have had the big panic attack, but you certainly know how to get out of it. (laughs) But that's what her point was, is like,
1: you didn't, like, you knew what you were, you were in control of the situation. Right, right. And and I had come to her as if like, I have this big problem, and she's like, no, there's still problems. Like, we can still dig through, and you're, you know, you're entitled to feel whatever you're feeling. But like, But look at it, look Mm -hmm. at the positive side of like what you experienced and know that there are people that don't have the ability to control it. And it's a much more physical thing than just like bringing yourself back to a rested place to digest it.
0: But whenever I have a panic attack, which I I usually don't have them that often, but when they do, they're, they're pretty gross, to be honest, pretty gross. (laughs) But I always have to remind myself it's not real. This will pass. This feeling will go away. It's not going to last forever. And I never knew that before. Yeah. So the fact that you even knew that, you're, like, very prepared in case you do have an anxiety <laughs> or panic attack. Like, you're more prepared than anyone I could have ever expected. Maybe prepared and <laughs> slightly dramatic in certain
1: situations. You are an actress, <laughs> so it's okay. I always like to, it's funny, I always have a really hard time crying on set. Like, I have a lot of crying anxiety, and my husband's always like, I don't believe you because he just sees me cry. Can you so, cry in an audition? No, God,
0: it's my nightmare. No. I tell you, I don't know how girls do it or guys for that matter. But I know for me, there's only been a couple times that I've actually been able to bring the tears. And it's because I just stress myself out and the anxiety and it's usually built up sides where it's like 10 pages of dialogue. And then on the like last three pages when you're crying and you're like going through the audition and you're like, I'm going to die. So like, I just, I can't breathe and I'm just, and all the emotions come out. But my favorite is when they give you sides and the first you know, scene is, like, funny. And then the second, you're supposed to be, like, hysterical, having a nervous breakdown. And then the third is, like, laughter again. Yeah. And you're just like, I'm sorry. Who's coming in here and doing this? There's always someone. I got to tell
1: you. There's always... It feels like there's always someone. A lot of soap opera stars can yes. do it. Yeah, yes. Yes. Anyone I know that's been on a soap opera can literally, can like, it. pick an eye to cry out of. I know. And I'm so jealous. What I've, re- what I've learned is I can either go in and <laughs> give an authentic performance... Yeah. Or I can go in and just really try to make my face cry. And that usually just never turns out well for anyone in the room.
0: It just gets really awkward. It gets (laughs) super awkward. But also my coach, you know, she used to always tell me, she was like, you have to... Be genuine and be honest, and if the tears come, they come, and if they don't, that's okay because you gave the same motion that you would have whether the tear was there or not. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of an aesthetic thing, and she would always remind me that most people on set actually have um, the things, the menthol that's blown into their eyes to make themselves tear. Uh, That's a fun little insight (laughs) to the business Um, where they literally blow the ice, the menthol ice, in your eye. You cry. It gets your eyes all red and
1: seems to do. It can the work. work. Um, my contacts don't. I've learned I have to take my contacts out and really order to cry on set. Yeah. Because I can, with time and like breathe, it goes back to the breath. It's like, all about it's breath. all about breath. Um, and again, I don't utilize it enough and I'm trying to be better now in adulthood, kind of using it. But I've learned even, like, do you cry a lot in real life? Every day, multiple times Ugh. a day. I used to. I used to cry like all the time. I cry at commercials. It's bad. I know. I <laughs> I don't like I've stopped myself. I don't know if it's like really? Yes, do you think it's because you're a mom? Yes, I do. Mm. I think it's like uh like being like having like kids around and and like not wanting to seem vulnerable or weak or just like
0: I'm just wanting to keep it all together. Because it probably also I mean I I surprisingly never saw my mom cry that much it was only very serious situations but my family does laugh cry a lot so that happens <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty obnoxious but I would feel like maybe a kid would be scared if they saw their mom crying all the time I never thought about that I
1: I've, I've been trying to be better at just if I feel the urge to cry just to let it happen Mm -hmm. to get more comfortable with that. And sympathy. Uh, Yes. (laughs) And um, I was actually watching America's Got Talent with uh, uh, my three and a half year old. No. And oh my god it gets me. That is one show that will make me cry every time. And there was like this little boy who's been like singing like Broadway tunes. He's my favorite. Oh my god I love him so much. And I just like started like just tears coming down my face and she got so scared. She just started (gasps) patting my face being like Mommy, why are you, why are you crying? No. And I was like, I'm happy. And then she kept having to like check in, and be like, Mom, are you happy at me? Are you happy? And I'm like, No, mommy's happy. Look at this, so sweet. And yes, just so concerned. And so, yeah, I think there's absolutely an element. Oh that, my god! Like when kids are really little. Um, and yeah, you kind of want you. always oh, even for like our older kids, like my my stepdaughters, I have teenage stepdaughters. I always want them to know, like, no, I've. I got
0: this. Right, right. Yeah. Whomever it may be, just kids in general and, and high school, being around that, the challenges that are going on in the world right now, like put politics aside, like put any of, any of that aside, just with social media and with mental health and with all, just everything going on, I don't know how you as a mom, how do you even handle that? Uh, I mean, I know that's it, like a mouthful, no, but it's, like...
1: Um, my husband and I talk about it a lot. And I think when it's easy at a dinner to be to decide, this is how we're going to be, and this is how we choose mm-hmm. to raise the kids, and this, these are the rules of our household. Um, but at a certain point, I think something I've learned through being a parent and, more importantly, being a step-parent, is that as much as you try to teach the children that you're raising – they teach you along the way as well. Right. And so even if you have this idea of how it's going to look and, oh, this is what I'm going to, this is how I'm going to broach this subject with them about social media or, you know, kids at school and or politics, I don't know. <laughs> it's always so different in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes when you let it happen organically and they come to you and they'll surprise you, like kids will always surprise you, and that's what I've learned, kind of the juxtaposition of having older kids in the house and then also our three-and-a-half-year-old are the right. things that she kind of learns on her own, where all of a sudden one day she'll just say a word, and I'm like, "How? Wait, where what? did that come from? <laughs> and, uh, and honestly, you know, it's been a privilege to watch, you know, my husband's daughters, our, my stepdaughters grow up, and they've taught me a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. About um, just approaching those subjects cuz right. it doesn't matter you can be those like strictest parent in the entire world and that's not going to do any no. good. No. And and I had to go through my own journey of of figuring out what my role is mm-hmm. and um and giving them the space that they need. Right. Cuz it it was very confusing of like wanting to be Thinking that a parent is supposed to a step parent or a biological parent any parent right. is supposed to be an authority figure at all yeah. times and in forgetting the emotional support side of that right and um and that's the scary side sometimes because that's the vulnerable stuff, and you want to do that part of really course. right. And and you don't always do that right. And that's the hardest part about being a parent, I think.
0: Yeah. I don't know how you do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would have learned is, like, no one knows what they're doing. And no one knows how anyone does that's it. That's what
0: people say. And they go, you're never ready for a kid. And I'm just like, you know, I, I think I'm, I know I confidently am not ready right now. <laughs> like I'm still trying to figure my brain out. So yeah. maybe once I get that a little, like, in check, you know. But what is the difference? Like, do you know... Is mental health, I mean, obviously someone like me, because I have a a diagnosis of mental health, but you are very evolved in the sense where you have a therapist, like you're aware of issues. Is it, do you see mental health being more prevalent and talked about with your three-and-a-half-year-olds more so than the teenagers? Like, is that a thing in the young childhood development?
1: I haven't...
0: Really done a deep dive on
1: young childhood development, yeah. I thought I would. And then right. for some reason, it just, like I was the craziest person when I was pregnant. I read every, I mean, I could have ten, told you like 12 ways to deliver your baby. Like wow. I just was obsessed. Um, if you looked at my YouTube history, it looked like I was into some <laughs> weird stuff because I was obsessed with birthing videos because I like, I wanted to have a natural birth and I needed to like see that it was possible. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I was obsessed. And then the second that she was born, I just kind of like... Chilled out. Yeah, I just totally chilled out. Um, no, I, I think that, yeah, there's certain things whenever I'd find myself like stuck in a way of like, if she's having a tantrum and the way that I would handle it wasn't working Mm -hmm. after a little bit, like if I would just be frustrated or think like timeout works or, you know, giving her my mean voice or establishing authority. um, I I picked up like a a parenting book on what to do in those situations. And, and honestly it's like pretty similar to what I think you do in like most relationships which is (laughs) you go i hear you yeah that that's like you know just calm them down
0: give them a hug. I definitely can't have kids right now. because I'm still working on that with a relationship.
1: (laughs) Say, I hear you. You are heard. I know this is how you're feeling. And this is how I'm feeling. And this is why my feelings were heard. Right. And then the conversation, and I'm, I'm not kidding. Like it's like, it works for this. I think every kid's different. And every like parent to child's relationship is different. Um, but you can have the same conversation with your husband and your
0: daughter at the same time. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, and our teens. Like, honestly, I've learned, like, through all the different, th- through, like, the parenting book, my personal therapy, like, family therapy for, like, me learning, like, I in step-parenting books, like, it, it starts with, like, I you're seen, I hear you. Right, right. And,
0: like, I and I'm here, and I also need you to hear me. But it's amazing that you're so well-educated on these things as well. Because it, it's not that it's missing... But I do see that that's missing a lot of the time with communication. And I think it's very important to mental health.
1: Uh, it is. I I I I started therapy when I was 18. I found a therapist out here in L.A. Um, was this
0: pre or post? Well, pre, not, this was
1: all pre. pre pre-acting. Pre-acting. And, um, and I'd had a friend who had uh, gone through some tough times and and struggled with mental health and I just had my own questions and and I felt the need to like go to therapy to figure that out and I'd seen her doing a lot of work on herself and so I kind of felt like I had things that maybe I should figure out and so I found a therapist and saw them for a little bit and then um And then it was once and after that. And the way that I've been, the way that therapy works for me is I kind of go in with a goal, mm-hmm. and or just something like that I want to tackle. Um, and then when I feel like I've kind of gotten through that, it doesn't mean that I'm cured and I'm fixed. No. but it just means like, okay, I'm going to take the training wheels off for a little bit and ride. And then when I hit terrain that I don't know how to ride anymore, I'm going to yeah. switch gears and maybe put the training wheels back on and have someone teach me how to navigate. Well, therapy is different from every,
0: for like, literally for everyone. Yeah, so every
1: therapist is different. Every like, yeah. yeah. And if that's what works for you, and, then yes. that's amazing that that works for you. And that's what works for. Me. And then I um it was at the end of season one for Vampire Diaries. Which you shot in Vancouver as well, right? We shot the pilot in Vancouver, Mm. but we shot the show in Atlanta. Oh right, and then you were there for a long time. And then we were there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly uh I had and like I'm I don't struggle with body dysmorphia. I don't struggle like I've I know That's a very hard disease to struggle with. Um, But I also noticed that, like, I wasn't being healthy and I'd gained some weight and I wanted... And I didn't like the way I was looking on screen and Mm -hmm. I knew it was stemming from, like, just not being healthy. That's it. Right. And uh, so in my quest to, like get healthy and get fit, I thought it would also benefit myself to, um, I got myself a trainer and I also got myself a therapist. So then I could have someone making sure that like I was on the path for the right reasons and I would like, and, and that nothing was getting cloudy. And I wanted to make sure that, that when I was talking about it, that it wasn't like that I wasn't entering into any vocabulary that mm. was, um, that was like, bad for any vocabulary that was negative, essentially. Right.
0: For, I just wanted for someone to, you publicly speak, speaking about it or for yourself? No, for myself. For yourself. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. There Like, it, it was nothing that, like, anything that was going on. I just was like, you know what? I I want to make sure that my mental health is on track. I was young. I was... It was the first time being on a TV show. And I had, like was like, wait, I want to make sure I'm getting fit for the right reasons. It's right. like being healthy and making sure that someone's making sure that I'm doing that for the right reasons. Well, and
0: I think, uh, for, I, I guarantee you that every single person that listens to this show is going to be aware of the Vampire Diaries and huge fans because it was it was huge. It was, it was but we d- it didn't feel that way. That because was, you guys yeah. were in Atlanta, <laughs> we
1: had a very normal. Like it didn't feel big, and and also, like yeah, it wasn't like we were going to parties and red carpets and all these right. things every weekend. I mean, it was more we were just going to like the local wine bar and like right, you know, right, right. and going to like fun dance clubs. I mean, there was not like a. Did you like, ever go
0: to Bulldogs?
1: No. Oh. Wait,
0: is that in Athens? Bulldogs was in Atlanta, and it's the the um the like big gay club right in the middle, and it is just so fun. Oh my god, you could catch me there every That's night. Amazing.
1: No, I used to we used to go to Noni's back in the day, which was oh, like I don't know that it was a it was a restaurant by day, club by night. Stop. Amazing, and it was the best place to dance on a Saturday night, and the whole front was like all windows and there'd be so many people in there dancing that the windows would be foggy. It was so fun. Um, but yeah, I mean that was the extent of like us being fancy is you go to Noni's and you wait in line outside in the cold for 20 minutes until you get in like right. it wasn't like we were on a show or I felt that I was on a show and then my entire life was different. The only thing that was different is that I had money to pay my rent. And Mm -hmm. to hire a trainer (laughs) if I wanted to get fit. Did you have a place in L.A. and you would go back
0: and forth? Or did Um, you
1: fully commit to Atlanta? I fully committed to Atlanta. I kept it for a few months. Um, Do you remember it was the the House of Mirrors? It was the apartment with all the mirrors. Where was that, though? It was in West Hollywood. It was I right by Joey's Cafe. Mirrors. Oh, yeah. my
0: God. Yeah. We've known each really other fun. a long time. I don't think we time. we, we uh, let that be established. We've <laughs> known each other for a very long time. Since we were teenagers. Yes, a yeah. lot of um, relationships we've been through. <laughs> um, lots of, um, just a lot of interesting things that we've gone through. And, yeah. and that's what's so fun to see you. Here I, I, I and I ran into you at our other friend Jenna Oshkowitz's birthday. Jenna was on the show um, and had a lot of fun, and it's just so funny how you get you know, not reintroduced, but you re-see people in different worlds and different environments that you hadn't originally met them in. Yeah. Because we originally met, I believe, at the Oakwood Apartments. Probably. Could
1: that be right? Probably. And the Oakwood Apartments were where a lot of people, I wasn't living there, but um a lot of people that were moving to LA for the first time, for people that don't know, uh, they would stay there and go there for short, extended periods of time. Usually their mom would be with them. Right, Like, it was a lot of, like, the young Disney kids would be put up there.
0: It was club med for kids. Yeah. That's what <laughs> I say. It really was. <laughs> and there's a fantastic documentary about the <gasps> Oakwood apartment. What? Isaac, do you remember what it's called? I'll look it up. Isaac's going to look it up. Oh, my God. It Now, okay, I want everyone to watch it and know that this was not, absolutely not my experience there. Because I think that maybe it became very, um, moms hating other moms and the kids like going against each other. It never. At least with me and my group that was there at the time at the Oakwood Apartments, it felt fun. It was like this big group of kids. And, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We had pagers. And, like, they would just let us run free. And then you just knew to come back. And everyone, you know, I was in the M building. And, like, we would play the M game there. And, like, it was just hilarious. And this now feels, watching this documentary, it's very angry and aggressive. Oh yes, it's called the Hollywood Complex. Oh wow, you I'm have to watch that tonight. it. It yeah. just feels like very um, stage mommy. Gotcha. And yeah. it kind of was like that. There were some stage moms when we were there, but it was mostly young, fun Hollywood kids. And I felt like a lot of the moms were helping out the other kids. Like that's yeah. what I, whenever
1: I look back to like those years, it was just. It was interesting to meet a lot of parent, like other kids' moms, be like, "Oh yeah, I manage my child," and then all eight of those children yeah. over there. Yeah, no, it's so and true. It was like this community and commune of like kids coming here and parents being like, "Okay, you're the manager, and you're going to live with them for a few months." And
0: I still, you know, the kids that I still see here and there um, who are in the business, and I still ask about their moms, and they always ask about my mom because you just it was like a second family yeah. in a weird way because we all stepped away from our real homes came to Los Angeles we all had the same dream you know we all had the same auditions and it was just i don't know how old were you when you moved out here i was um i had had my first pilot season when i was 9 wow yes um and then we went back and forth for about 2 years um And then we fully moved out here when I was 11 ish. Um, And I've been here ever since. And I'm 32. So, yeah. And I'm originally from the Bay Area. So it wasn't that far of a difference. Yeah. We would go San Jose back and forth on the airplane. Like, we would do it twice a week. We would fly back and forth. It was like pretty nuts. Um, But, but yeah, I don't. I, I remember living up north in, in Los Altos. I remember that. I remember my life there. But it didn't, doesn't feel like home to me. And it's weird because so many of my friends, like, go back home, in quotes, for the holidays. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, everyone's here. Like, this is my home. Yeah, And it's bizarre. You know, it's kind of, it's this weird, like, little cult living situation it that is. I established and haven't left And can't imagine leaving.
1: Well, it's also the experiences that only those people really understand in a way. Where unless you've been in it, it sounds so crazy and foreign and, like,
0: not real. I Um, mean, my first boyfriend was my first kiss ever. And my first kiss was on TV. And it was Frankie Muniz. Shout out to Frankie, like no big deal. <gasps> oh, so yeah, my shout out to yeah, Frankie. Shout out yes. to Frankie. So my mom, his mom, the stage <gasps> like the um not the stage mom. What are they called? Um, the studio teacher. Oh yeah. Everyone was there for both of our first kisses.
1: Oh. And then wow. we
0: dated like after for like a week. It was like real cute, but. <laughs> Perfect. You guys, like, held hands. At- yeah, we went to Universal Studios. Oh, wow. City Walk, no big deal. That's where a That's lot of was moving pretty quickly. Made. I went yeah. real fast. And he, had, and he had bought the car from the Fast and the Furious franchise. <laughs> and he had just gotten his license. And he had had the car for a year. And it was, like, this souped-up, Subaru, electric, green, whatever car. And he would drive me in it. And it was just, like, really, really felt fancy. Wow. I had made it. I had made it. I was with a star. <laughs>
1: oh, man. Yeah. Shout out to Frankie Muniz. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that, that, was, was yeah, that was That was the world. But how old were you when you moved here? I was 16. And my family was but in then, Orlando, Florida. But you came here. If I
0: met you, you must have been much younger.
1: I w- would have been like 16 or 17. Really?
0: Yeah. But we're the same age. Yeah, but it must not have been at the Oakwood then that we met because I was out of there at, like, 13.
1: But did you ever go back there to, like, hang out? Probably. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, probably.
0: That might yeah. have been it. We like to think it was just, like... God, isn't that so <laughs> weird? Like, you think that you... Oh, wow. You know, it just ages me, and it's okay. But, no, yes, Orlando, Florida, I mean, that is my dream, to live in Orlando. Oh, my gosh. My dream is to be that woman in... Oh, God. Another documentary. I'm like, what is it called? Um, but I don't even know how to explain it. It's the, the guy that owned Planet Hollywood.
1: Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's Versailles, the Queen of Versailles. The Queen of Versailles. I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you yeah. know that
0: she had her bathtub designed in their new house that was being built to look onto the fireworks yeah. at Disney World?
1: But did it ever get, I don't think it ever got built. I don't care. Built.
0: That is so, was that crazy growing up near no, there? No,
1: because we never went. Oh never my God. Never went to Disney World. <laughs> my parents, I think, taught me. My, my mom likes to say that we went all the time. And I'm like, what? I think Lies. we went once. <laughs> and my dad was like, I'm never doing this again. Too many lines. and uh, But we were universal people. Because okay, Islands okay. Yeah, Islands of Adventure just opened. They had and like, you know, I was a teen and like that was like the cool roller coasters. And right. back then we had figured out a way um to sneak through the the back entrance of the roller coasters, so you wouldn't, we'd sneak the line. Stop. How do you do it? So what we would do is they, like, <laughs> started the this, like, wall of lockers where you could put your purses and your things, and so me and, like, a friend would run up the back entrance and be like, we're so sorry, like, we had just made it to the front, and then they told us we had to go put our backpacks there, and we didn't know since they're new and it's a new rule. Yeah, I'm
0: obsessed yeah. with you. We
1: did that. A lot. And then you finally so they caught naughty. on after because we would go there all the time. And then they're like, no, they've been out for a while. Like you should know better. And we're like, damn it, our our run has ended. Our run has ended. Yeah. It's over. But we rolled the rode the Hulk like 20 wow. million times. Yeah.
0: I'll tell you that's pretty scandalous. Yeah,
1: that that yeah. I'd it's like to naughty. say that's the, <laughs> that's where my scandal ends, but
0: it started and it started and ended. <laughs>
1: I am an angel. Oh yes. my gosh! Um, yeah, no, that's it. Was it was good times? It was fun, but it's like I never really, I didn't do a lot. Of people always ask like, oh well, the Mandy Moore and like Backstreet Boys. Right. And that's what and I that was going to ask.
0: Did you ever do any of that Nickelodeon stuff?
1: No, I auditioned once for like a Disney thing, and I didn't make it. Didn't get it.
0: Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> and, well, you know,
1: <laughs> and uh, and so it, I, I've kind of always had the, this like back that's kind of like a good uh parallel to my life it's always I'm kind of going up the back entrance to things (laughs) so he's just like how did you get here And I was like I don't know I forgot to put my purse in the locker locker," and I I just kind of showed up (laughs) um yeah I uh I was pursuing music and um I my my dad is amazing and my mom's amazing and they were totally supporting me and doing everything they could to you get the word out and my dad had found out through like a friend that he knew like this guy who worked at DreamWorks called and his name was um was basically matched a race car driver's name oh but gosh. it wasn't the race car driver Stop. and uh <laughs> and so sent my like packet to this guy and he introduced me to someone who gave me a development deal and was like yeah I'll, like Come out for a few months, and then we'll shop you to some labels and see how it goes. So I came out here with my mom, recorded a few songs, (laughs) and then we shopped it. And then within two weeks, I had a record deal with Maverick Records. What? Yeah. And my mom was like, well, I guess we're staying. (gasps) And that's how we moved out here. We each had like one suitcase, and then... And did you go straight to the Oakwood? Yeah, we didn't. (laughs) That's the other thing. We did all the things wrong. Like, we didn't go to the Oakwood. We did go to Ikea. We learned about Ikea. Okay, and they have Um, great
0: ice cream at Ikea. I really recommend it. Loved the Swedish
1: meatballs (laughs) every time. Still a fan. Uh, But, yeah, we got a house and uh, rented a house. And and then, basically, my mom was with me until I was 18. And literally, I think, on my birthday, was just like, love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Be good. Wow. Um, and then, yeah. And then my music career uh, ended. Um, and I just decided not to continue to pursue it. And did you ever do a proper full album? I did. And it was only ever released now? in Japan. I'm getting and it. I was a Japanese pop star for a minute or popular in Japan. I wasn't. But yes, I was a pop star. In Japan, do you know that's my dream? It was like i was always wanted so to be a weird. Japanese
0: pop superstar,
1: <laughs> but it wasn't like I, I never went. I was never invited to go. Yeah, that's it. Now um, we just
0: found the picture of her. Yeah,
1: that's my redheaded. Yeah. Oh my! My album that title would have been my dream. It was fair, but I never even went. And and all one day, like someone was like, "Hey, will you do a bunch of interviews for some Japanese magazines?" And I spent like afternoon doing them. And then a few months later, I got this like giant stack of like magazines with my pictures all over it. And then that was it. And that was
0: like the beginning and the end. And did you (laughs) like, did you have a mental breakdown? Because I I would have had a mental breakdown. I just was like, well, this is funny. Like, this is How hilarious. How did you even deal with it, being alone, too? I just was, like,
1: I it was so far removed. I just thought it was funny. Like, it, to me, it wasn't real. It wasn't, like, um, yeah, it just was, like, this funny thing that happened. Right. And it's, like, of course. Of course, like, my dream was to, like, go and, and you know, be center stage and, like, right. do, you know, yeah, be a pop star. and it, And then right when I thought, like, it's never gonna happen. I just get like a stack of like, well, you know, it happens somewhere. So it there we go. Somewhere. It happens somewhere.
0: <gasps> oh my! <laughs> and gosh. it's very
1: funny. Yeah. So I have like in my memory box, I have like a bunch of boxes where I keep all my stuff, and there's just like this stack of
0: me <laughs> on like a Japanese. Your kids are gonna love music that in magazine. the future.
1: Yeah, it's like a fun little pop up video fact. But um, honestly,
0: you, how did you deal with it?
1: You really were okay. Yeah, I just I've never really taken any of it too seriously. And then I I mean, well, I'm not going to say never. There have definitely been moments um <laughs> and especially being on a show like The Vampire Diaries that was very large and and I uh, there's absolutely moments where I had to check myself mm-hmm. and be like, "Whoa. Wh- what is this about? Cuz this isn't this isn't me and right. this isn't how I want to act and what am I taking so serious?" here that isn't really serious. Right, and it was right. usually around like events and things where I already feel incredibly socially awkward and I don't, like, I don't, I know that sounds like annoying to say like, I don't like events. I love a party.
0: I actually I love, love events. I loved a gift suite I lo- <laughs> and a gift bag. If they promise me one free thing, I am there. I don't care what it's even Oh for. yeah.
1: But I just get a little... I, I do feel socially awkward. And so if I'm there for, with like a group of friends that I know, I think I feel a little bit better. Um, and then walking sometimes... a carpet is the worst fear of my life. It's it's just a weird out-of-body experience. It's yeah. very funny. It's very... Yeah, it's... What I've learned is just like... It's just silly. It's kind of like, I think, Instagram and boomerangs. I've, like, I've now equated like walking a red carpet to a boomerang. So hmm. if you've ever taken a boomerang and you feel like a freaking...
0: Idiot. Dummy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's
1: what it feels like to that walk is a red a carpet. good analogy. I don't to think it. for everybody, like, I don't think JLo's out there being like, oh, I feel like an idiot. Like, I think she's like, this is, like, there are some people that are just good at striking a pose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am comfortable with saying I'm not one of them. I just went to Comic Con and got it, and I hired this incredible. Stylist who I'm obsessed with, and I was a very big fangirl over. His name is Chris Horan. If anyone loves fashion and wants to look him up,
0: love fashion. Um, <laughs>
1: yes. Um, but I was like, I need you to tell me how to pose. I was like, yeah. I, how do the youth do it? You know, like how you're young. Youth,
0: how do the youth do it? I always ask, how says. do the youth
1: do it? And he's like, okay, I got it. I had to like put one foot like slightly in front of the other and then with my outfit he's like it'll just look cool if you have like maybe like a hand in the pocket Mm. and he was like making feel he was like that it looked great and I was like okay this is my this is my go-to literally if you see me any picture from that every photo is with one foot slightly in front of the other and I'm like a robot (laughs) with one hand in the pocket just slightly like I just would take one step over not moving my body no But that's what the youth do, you know. Sometimes that's what you got to do. It sounds like just from like us talking about it, even before we were on the mics, that like you've done a lot of work on yourself, right? And I that's guess. why you feel comfortable enough to have a podcast like this and to have a space where you're talking about mental health. Because like we were talking about, like the things we feel comfortable talking about and not talking about, mm-hmm. and the fact that you're like, yes, let's not only just
0: have a discussion, but let me make an entire podcast about it. Means that well, because I don't think that there are. I I know there are wonderful mental health podcasts that I have listened to that, that are by no means anything like what I'm doing in, in a lot of them are much better than mine. Like, let me just say that. Okay. And they're actually, they have the real doctors on there and they have such incredible information and things that I learn every single time I listen to them. But what I'm trying to do on this show is make it as, um, The ABC version of, and not ABC, the network, like the (laughs) ABCs of like children's like learning their ABCs, you know, of mental health and kind of just making it relatable. And approachable and conversational. Yeah. yeah, It shouldn't be. I was always very fearful to speak about it. Not only because I was told not to speak about it in this business, that it would be, you know, people would put a label on me that she was crazy and she's difficult to work with and blah, blah, blah. No. None of those are true. But if those were true, it wouldn't be because I'm fucking bipolar. That would just be because I was a bitch. You know? <laughs> like, let's be honest about that. Like Those are two different things. But people associate um, mental disorder with crazy, insane, yeah. like problematic. Um, so I wanted to, first and foremost, let that... I, I have gone to a place in my life where I know and I'm comfortable with who I am and what I want to share. And I want this to be... The basic version of, um, you know, someone living in Germany, for instance, right? May not speak perfect English, but maybe they're a fan of yours. And they're hearing us having this conversation. And just the way of you talked yourself out of having what you thought was a panic attack, even though it wasn't, they could take that information and be like, wow, I actually haven't had a panic attack, but I'm gonna do this for next time and I'm gonna work on my breath. If I can help one person with one guest on the show be able to learn something that you didn't even think you were teaching someone, yeah. that's what the whole goal is. That's the stuff. Yeah. I'm not trying to preach to people, you know, um, and push down their throat mental health. Not everyone has a mental health disorder. Not everyone has a disease. But we certainly all know someone that does. We certainly all are affected by mental health. And honestly, and
1: yeah, and I would never be in a position of being like, hey, Alessandra, like, how's... How's being bipolar? <laughs> like, how's that going today? Like, I wouldn't, like, there's never an, I don't, wouldn't have a clue on how to broach that subject. Right. And the fact that, like, you are so open about it was like, whoa, oh, then I can approach that. And that's something that I know nothing about, but I would want to be supportive of and not be. Judgmental of and have a better understanding of, and not go straight to the internet to see the clinical version of what that looks like, but what the real life version of that looks like.
0: Well, and I feel like it's a very, um, while it's a hot topic to talk about mental health, it's also a very scary topic to ask people, um, you know, specific things that are going on. You know, I've had a lot of people in my life who have had mental, you know, health issues and have never known or, Not that they've never known. They'd be too fearful to ask the questions. Yes. Whether they ask it for me to see if there's any similarity that maybe there's a possibility they're bipolar or maybe they have, you know, schizophrenia or whatever it may be. Just to have that open conversation to ask. Um, And then being able to know that it's not a sign of weakness if you're going to a therapist, if you're going to a psychiatrist. Like, there's no sign of weakness. And that's being projected out to the world by a lot of people that you're a weak person if you actually are going to get help
1: or that something's like then broken wrong with you right yeah as opposed to taking the initiative to take care of yourself and and it's like if your car's not running well you don't just let it keep not running well. Eventually you have to take it in to get serviced. It's going to break down. It's going to break down. Yeah. And it's crazy how much attention and detail we'll put into that and like smog checks and you know, and we won't really necessarily think that
0: we're worth doing that for. Absolutely. And you know, People are so much um, more vulnerable and more open to helping others than they are helping themselves. Yeah. and I was a, a case of that where I feel I'm very much of the um, like home giver, mother hen. Like I'm like the the woman that you come to the house. I'm the crazy Italian that's cooking everything for everyone, and I just want everyone to be happy. And I'm like, no, no, you don't have a water. You need a beverage. I promise you, you need a beverage. And everyone's like, I'm fine, you know. But I never took that into me into consideration where I was always pleasing other people, I never looked into myself to be like, but what do I need to fix? Like, how am I broken? And I think a lot of people who deal with mental health do that. They switch the problem on themselves and they push it onto other people, trying to help others, because the more they help others, the more they're not going to have time to take care of themselves and they'll be distracted by it. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, I was 22. I was diagnosed by an acupuncturist. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I had been... How sick. did you... take? Were you like, um... I was like, you're crazy. Were yeah. <laughs> you like, excuse me? I was like, you're bipolar. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, no, I'm actually not. But that's cute. Um, yeah, I was 22. There were times... The reason why I'm so fascinated, while on this subject of myself about the diagnosis, why I ask about, like, your three-and-a-half-year-old is... I know my mother, when I was three years old, starting when I was two, out of nowhere, I would just start banging my head against the wall. And my mom would have no idea what was going on and she would stop. And it first happened when I was in an airplane with her. And we were sitting in the airplane and I was laughing. And the next thing I did, I started banging my head against the window. And everyone in the airplane was like, what the fuck is wrong with your child? Like, are you abusing your child that they're acting like this? Like she had no idea what was going on. And she would take me to doctors and they'd go, Oh, she's just having a temper tantrum. Like, whatever. My I was like, she's not having a temper tantrum. Like I, she, she just knew in her heart that something was wrong. Yeah. Um, when I was fa, and then it went away right away. When I was five, I started having problems with crossing thresholds. So um, I, I like I couldn't leave the the house. I would like to I'm gonna actually make a cartoon of it so people can see because I can explain it with my hands, but I have a hard time explaining it with my mouth. Um, no, but I couldn't cross thresholds. So um, it happened. one day I woke up. Uh, It took me two hours to go from one side of our front door to the other side. I kicked my mom and my dad multiple times. I punched them. I was screaming. I was biting. They had no idea why. Once I literally got across the threshold, I was fine. fine. I went to school like I had a good time. Then it started in dance class. Um, I was a professional dancer when I was a kid. So that's where I spent all of my time, at the dance studio or the karate studio. It was one of the two. And I couldn't cross into... The dance center. No one knows why. Same thing would happen. My um, my teacher um, Sue Lehner, who's um, no longer with us anymore, but she she was my biggest inspiration. She was so loving on me, but so tough on me. And was like, "You are not not coming through this door right now." And like, she and my mom would physically pull me, and it would take you know thirty minutes to an hour to get me in. Um, it happened in my karate studio too, and so my mom took me to hypnotherapy. Hypnotherapy finally worked. They realized that I just had complete perfectionism and that I was afraid that if I stepped out the door that I would begin failure. And I was five, so like... Like so, imagine my mom like, was like, "What the hell?" And my mom was a CEO of and CEO and CFO of computer technology companies, and she went from running and being in boardrooms. Like she, her water broke in the boardroom when she was giving a conference to two hundred businessmen. <sighs> what a boss. So it's so like a yeah. boss. So she stopped all that to raise me, and I was way more exhausting than anyone else. And then on the set of Caprica, I had a panic attack. No one knew it. Um, a set doctor came in, only a few people from the show knew um and he gave me a beta blocker, which just stops your heart from racing. It's not like a xanax, maybe it is, but it's not a xanax it's a beta blocker. Um, they give it to a lot of actors who have nerves um, going into auditions like it just stops the it slows the heart rate down that's all it is, so it doesn't make you feel any different. it's just the nerves of the shaking, so a yeah. lot of people do that. I cannot do that i i would have a quarter of it and I'd want to throw up and I have had it on a plane because I'm a fearful flyer and it doesn't really help. So I don't like I'm not saying go out there and get yourself some <laughs> beta blogger. It's, like, it's not going to do it for you. But yeah. And then when I was 22, we still didn't know what it was. Um, I had distrusted every therapist. I'd fucked with every therapist. Um, and my acupuncture said, I suffered from chronic migraines. I had numbness in my body. My mood swings were very high, very low. And whatever it may be, Dr. Drew Francis goes, I think you might be bipolar. I said, what? And I got so mad. And then I went to a doctor, a new psychiatrist, and I had said this to her. She said, "Well, absolutely, you are. Wow." And then going back in history, having my mom in there saying all the different things, these were all signs of bipolar disorder. So, get full circle with my mouth full of wow. my whole my story that I've exhausted you in. <laughs> no, I. That's why I ask about children. Is because, and what I think I'm most curious about on this show is I like knowing what people's childhood was like, um, because you can see a lot, now I'm not a specialist, I'm not a doctor, so I can't say, oh, well you're this and you're that.
1: No, but it's also a way for you to reflect on your own childhood. Absolutely. Like I think we're, I think at a certain point in life, you turn a corner where your twenties are like very youthful. Obviously, your teens are. Um, but in your 30s, it doesn't mean all of a sudden we're, like, old. I'm not no. trying to be, like, you know, I'm realistic. We're still very young. Right. <laughs> However, it is a time when all of a sudden this, like, reflection period starts kind of, like, drifting in and out more throughout the day. And I think it's, like, you see people that are younger and and then little kids, and you start thinking about, like, your experiences and, you know, how you were raised or what your time was like in high school and in middle school. And um, I think it says a lot about, it you know, it kind of it, reflecting from a perspective of adulthood, I think, gives kind of like a new perspective on it that you just never really had.
0: Absolutely. And I think that it's so therapeutic for me to kind of speak about it and hear other people's stories to see, you know, where our similarities and where the differences were when we were kids but I think the ultimate goal for me is making mental health stigma-free. Obviously, um, but I'm just I my goal, my personal goal is to help children with mental health um, because I just I know. If my mom had that book, if my mom, you know, had the parenting book and the YouTube videos that you did to look up all the different birthing techniques, right? If she had that in regards to, hmm, I think my child might have a mental disorder, is anyone else going through this? Because it wasn't talked about. Yeah. And my mom was the only one that was actually talking about it, and she was getting shamed for it. Um, So she kept quiet. Um, But... Well, also when you're told, they'll grow out of it, and then you get a
1: moment of... Time when it is all okay. And then you're like, wait, am I overreacting? Mm -hmm. You don't want to put your children through like things that they aren't like taking them to doctor after doctor after doctor at a certain point. You're like, maybe I am just creating this to be a problem. Yeah. It's, I mean, as a parent now, there's been many times where I'm just like, am I overreacting by bringing her to the pediatrician right now? And maybe sometimes I am, and you know what, other times I'm not. And it's just better to do it anyway, but I totally understand the feeling of you're just
0: trying to do the best by your kid, and then you're also second-guessing everything that you're doing. Second-guessing everything. And I think that we have so many resources now in this world that I think the best thing to do is to share and share and share. Because if if I could help one adult right now, I I wish that I could help one parent who then has a kid that maybe had the same issue. If I share my story and they go, oh, my kid used to do this and at this time and this time. I was also an only child, so my mom had no idea to even compare it to someone else. Yeah. And she just thought I was, you know, singing and dancing and wanting to be an overachiever. And I loved math and I was like very advanced in that. So she just thought, oh, my daughter's just like a lot of energy. Yeah. (laughs) That's all she thought it was is I was just energy. You know? But why
1: wouldn't Yeah, why why wouldn't you? Why yeah. wouldn't you
0: think that? Do
1: you think that this um like journey and especially looking at giving other parents the opportunity if to have information if they're maybe experiencing something similar do you feel like it's also a way for you to reconnect with like yourself as a child, mm. and to kind of make friends with yourself as a child after all these years, like to kind not so like rewrite the experience, right? But to like give it space to be like that was okay. Like that's in look at it in a new way of like
0: of of making peace with it in a way. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I loved my childhood, and like I can honestly say I don't remember one bad memory. The other thing that I should, like, on a side note, is when you're bipolar, you black out a lot of things in your life. So I'm sure that there were a lot of really tough times, but I've blacked them out and I don't remember. I don't remember a lot from 15 to 22, um, which is so strange to most people. (laughs) we are like, what do you mean you don't remember? I'm like, I just don't remember.
1: Because um, some of the occurrences that you're talking about seem very traumatic and weighted,
0: and- oh yeah, yeah, and it di- and it wasn't to me, yeah, like it didn't feel. Because I guess another thing with bipolar disorder is like you have these episodes and they're like these manic episodes and I like to call them adult temper tantrums because that's what it feels like. And it's stuff that I still go through and I would never do it in public. It's always, of course, to the people I love, like my boyfriend and my mom. So, you know, yay guys, like you're so lucky to go through with this, but it's like an adult temper tantrum where it lasts for, you know, 30 minutes and once it's done, like you snap out of it and you're totally fine and you can just go on with your day and everyone around you, it was like you were the Tasmanian devil and you came in and you created this whole like tornado and then you're like, great. You're like awesome. And everyone else's world is like, you just fucked the whole thing up for us right now. Like, how are you, you just have no concept of how bad you can go and how much your world can spin around you. So I think that I know how tough it was. For my mom, and I can relate to her in that sense, being an adult now and being around kids all the time, but for me, even though they were traumatic experiences, the feeling went away so fast that wow. i never for i never remembered them, and like even talking about it, it doesn't upset me, it doesn't make me um angry or sad or that I missed anything in my life i it's just like. Factual. It's yeah. like I never had any siblings. Like that's how that's as separated as I am from it. Of like, I don't know any different. Like it was fine. And I was very blessed because I had a mom who was my best friend and loved me like no matter what. But you know, I have no relationship with my dad, and that's because of that. And I stopped talking to him when I was 15 or like 16. Um and it's because he's bipolar and he never wanted to get diagnosed and wanted to be on medicine to start a relationship and and be sane for himself so it was something i had to take myself out of being undiagnosed myself at the time and not realizing it but i i realized the importance of um being diagnosed finding a solution you know helping the problem and like continuing on with your life and so i think that it's something that i just was like this is, this is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's did hard.
1: You, did you feel like the, even, do you still have current episodes or what you were saying, like the Tasmanian devil mm-hmm. episodes now, even with medication or. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: But they are. Like, do you, are
1: you aware that it's happening? Totally Even after aware. all this time? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha.
0: Totally aware. I laugh about it with my friend Eden. um, who, who's on the first episode of, of the podcast. And she and I did a Netflix um, dance movie together. And I'm talking about it a lot because I think it's so funny. But she and I basically were both... The first day of shooting, both realized we were both bipolar... And Bipolar 1, and it was the first time that either one of us had not only met someone who was also bipolar, like physically around our same age, but also actresses and had to work together. (laughs) And it was like, oh my God. And so we will exchange stories with one another, and she's engaged right now, and And she was telling me, like, a situation that happened with she and her fiancé where she just, like, doesn't even know why she got upset. It was over a water bottle. And, like, she, like, you know, didn't know how to deal with it. And she, like, threw the water bottle and she was, like, screaming, blah, blah, blah. And then she forgets. And, like, everything's fine. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that was me. Like, that and that is me. Like, that happens all the time. The only way my temper tantrum stops is if my boyfriend Sturgis or my mom or whoever I, whomever I'm with like just like walks away because it's like a baby like a baby wants the attention and even though I'm not aware that I want the attention and on the other side I am super aware I want the attention and I can see what I'm doing and I can feel it coming it's such an explosion that if you don't release it and if you don't throw something if you don't you know hit something or you don't punch yourself like You you can't breathe. It feels like your body's like dynamite, and it's slowly gonna explode. It's so weird. Does that make any sense? Yeah. No. You
1: it has to. You have (laughs) to like live through the experience. Like, are you? I'm like, I'm trying to to find a parallel. The the tantrum. yeah, Yeah. You have to like release it, and if you don't, it's like a volcano. Yeah. If you don't, it's just gonna. It doesn't go anywhere. It's like that energy that you have to get out, and if you don't get it out, it's still in there. But But that's incredible that you have a support system in which they know how to handle it. And I think that that's a a lot um, of not only, like, your partner and, like, the people that you love that also love you, that, like, they're willing to show you that they know how to handle it and that they're going to put in that effort, but also that, like, you recognize it on your end too Mm -hmm. and that you're going to do everything you can to, like, understand it for both perspectives. Mm Because it is, it's like a... it's, it would take, I would assume it's everyone in the room has an understanding and it's not just the partner and it's not just you. It's kind of like everyone coming together to figure that out.
0: And I'm not someone, and and I'm not saying that this happens, but I'm saying that I'm not someone, um, that wants to hurt other people. It's not like an explosion of like, I need to hit someone in order to feel like better. It's always me. It's always, like, my issue and me wanting to hurt myself because that's the release. Um, And that's one thing I'm lucky about because I know sometimes that's not the case. Um, But it's really tough. It's tough. I mean, Sturge and I have been together for over four years now, and, I mean, every single day he learns something new. And he... Um, I'm very blessed to be with someone that wanted to put the work in because behind my back, like, he went and found a therapist to talk about it. He found the books. He did the studying. He he learned as much as he possibly can about it. Um, and he, surprisingly enough, actually has a lot of friends that are bipolar. So he learned from them and asked the questions. And this is the first relationship that I've actually been in where it feels, like, safe. Yeah. Um. And it feels like I have a partner opposed to being in a relationship where I'm trying to please them and, like, give myself up for them. But, oh, yeah, I've had fucked up shit happen. Like, yeah. I was telling someone yesterday that this dude literally changed my medicine on me because he said that I didn't need it. And, like, it made me that much crazier and he did it on purpose so he could, like, go behind my back and be, like, shady. He was also, like, verbally the most abusive person I've been around in my entire so life. So just a bad, yeah. Just a bad. He is a sociopath. He's a bad seed. Bad but Bad I mean, seed. It, but that happens. And then people who are, you know, diagnosed with mental health, they think it's their fault. So they stay in these abusive yeah. relationships. Which I did. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's, like, all different kinds of voices I'm trying to get out for people to know, like, it's okay, you're crazy. Were you (laughs) you ever against trying? Did you ever have a period of time where you were like, I don't want to be medicated? Was that like a pushback? Yeah. Totally, especially being an actress, because I didn't want to be numb to my emotions. Um, What made you think you would be? I just assume that all medicine, like antidepressants, like I'd seen friends that have been on the Zolofts and Xanax and all of these antidepressants, and they become different people. And not bad people. They just become kind of, um, and obviously it wasn't the right medicine for them. That's why they ended up the way that they did. But very zombie-ish, you know, very just like, meh, go with the flow, like, nothing not there they don't connect in the eyes yeah and being an actress I was so scared that if I would get on medicine I wouldn't be able to hit the comedy notes I wouldn't be able to get the tears going on set I wouldn't be able to feel the emotions that I would feel dead inside so I pushed it as much as I could not to be on the medicine but then um the medicine I'm currently on called lamictal which is for bipolar disorder because it's the only mood stabilizer that doesn't Unbalance your emotions. It's weird.
1: Yeah, but you tried it out, and then you knew it worked. Yeah, and I tried a
0: bunch of shit, and like this just happened to be the one that like works for me. I'm no different in personality. I'm exactly how I was. Well, that's not true. I'm very different in personality in the sense (laughs) where I'm not like dying over here in the corner, but I'm like aware of everything that's going on, and I don't feel drugged. And I and I'm such a control freak. That's why I don't do drugs. I don't drink like I'm too afraid of being out of control and that's what I thought I would be like on medicine because you had felt out of control Mm -hmm. another yeah yeah but you know then you read about all these people that come out being bipolar and that are open about their medicine and you're just like well fuck man like it's kind of a cool club like I might as well just embrace it and go (laughs) with it you know (laughs) I just found out, I I mean, I always knew this, but I guess I just re-found out that Catherine Zeta-Jones is bipolar. And I was like, oh, I forgot that she was. That was the magazine article that, like, that popped up where I just, and that's all
1: I knew about it. Like, I didn't, and that's where I think that this is a really great space that you've created, that it's an approachable way of talking about mental health And like, I would never have asked most of those questions I just asked you. Oh, cool. Like ever. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I would feel like so uncomfortable and awkward or feel like I'm like, or putting you in a vulnerable position to talk about it. But you're right. It's like, we should be talking about mental health. And it is something that like a lot of people deal with Mm -hmm. and creating that space to say, hey, it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to, you know, not know how to broach the subject and to educate yourself because, like, you know, if anyone else is going through anything, it's then nice to have, like, some sort of an education on on what it could be or how to handle it.
0: And I love talking to you because not only are you an actress, so you've felt the struggles and you've been through the ups and downs as well, just even without mental health, just being in this business is, like, exhausting <laughs> enough.
1: It's a kooky one. It's a
0: kooky business. But being a mom, it's I, I just love sharing my story to moms so they can, you know... I'm not saying that this is something your daughter has or your friend's kids or any of that, but it's just being aware of like, oh, interesting. Like there are signs as kids. It doesn't just happen as adults. You know, it's just, I I love sharing that with moms because I'm not really in a mom world, you know, and I, I, I love kids so much. So I just, I love learning what the new, things that people are talking about in schools and and what moms talk about and what the dads talk about. Like, it's just so fascinating to me, you know? what's
1: funny is that there are a million freaking books on sleep training your child. Like, how to get a baby to go to sleep. Like, so many sleep training books. But I don't recall, like, um, an emotional or I'm sure there are, but I don't recall like specific, (laughs) a specific, yeah, a multitude of emotional, um, health books on like on children Mm -hmm. and not just like how to implement like, you know, a peaceful, like how to implement screen time, but like a genuine emotional, um, and mental health and how to broach that subject or things to look out for. And, um, I don't really recall that being much of a conversation and and you know they tell you a lot about poop. They tell <laughs> you all these different poop colors that you got to look out poops. for. So <laughs> many poops, you know, that you get to look out for. Um but it is I've never really thought about it until we talked about it today that um like how that is an important thing to know and I and parents should talk about that more. I just um there's this meditation teacher that uh, that we sat down with, and um, uh, Kayla Yule and I have a podcast, and it's called I know Direct- we have to no, talk about fun. that. It's called Direction <laughs> Challenge, and we have an episode with a. Um, with the, it's the, really funny <laughs> meditation with with a meditation teacher, and she was telling me as she was leaving, she asked if I did any meditation or had tried any, had been anywhere where they taught me how to meditate with my child. And of course, I was like, uh, "No, <laughs> like I don't even. I meditated like once or twice in my whole life." Right. Um, and she was like, "It's really great. Um, if you just do like, there's this really great technique I always like to share with parents where you sit across from each other." And you just hold hands and you go, like, eye to eye. And you're like, okay, we're going to play the staring game where we're going to hold hands and we're going to look at each other in each other's eyes. And she's like, you can start for, like, 10 seconds or 30 seconds. But she's like, it's just a great way to really connect with your child, but then also to teach them how to, like, calm, center themselves and, and like, center their attention on one thing. Because she's like, with TV and the way, like, even the way if you watch – like Lady and the Tramp versus like the Incredibles movie, like that's a two those are two very different film experiences. Where like the cartoons mm. that we grew up with were much slower paced. Mm. They're they were like wonderful. Yeah. And the ones now are awesome and hilarious, but it's always something crazy happening and it's just wild. And um and it made me think I was like, I would never sit there and try to do like if anyone was like, hey, have you tried meditating with your child? I would just give them one big eye roll. And then after hearing that, I was like, well, damn it, that seems simple and something that might be really sweet. And, you know, and I guess we've done that and I've done that in an acting class. (laughs) So I'm trying to bring that to home. But um, I think that there should be more literature and, and just like parents talking about, um, Kids' mental health a little bit. Instead I'm a firm like,
0: believer in meditation too. So, if you're, do you do a lot of it? Um, I do transcendental meditation, Whoa. and yeah, it saved my life.
1: I know that the cool kids call it TM.
0: Yeah, I I, I call it TM. TM. I TM. <laughs> I didn't know what TM was for the longest time, and everyone kept being... And I was like, God, what is this? Like AA or something? Like why don't I know what this is? And then I found out it was transcendental meditation, and I was like, Oh. I'm gonna try this, and it took me about three and a half years to try it. It's very new, but um but i uh I love it, yeah, I love it, but it's interesting because i I don't know the specifics, but they say for specifically transcendental meditation, I believe you don't start the kid until they're like ten, yeah, specifically that I don't wow. know why, but i my mom. She used to take me to yoga all the time with her, to her kundalina yoga when I was like six years old and make me meditate with her. And I remember I hated it. And she she would make me meditate with her on the bed. She'd be like, okay, let's take a little meditation. And the whole time I'd be like, this sucks. This is so boring. I can't wait to leave here. But then I'd wake up like 10 minutes later and be like, what happened? (laughs) Just so zen out. I think you should try it. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll start with like the eye to eye thing, but oh, I no, still haven't totally. figured out. I still haven't figured out meditating, but it the, for me, that all goes back to making time. It goes back to like the crying thing right. of like being vulnerable, making time for myself. Um, like I I've been I haven't been to my therapist here in a little while just because like the things I was working on, I felt really good. Again, I took my training meals off right. and I felt like something was missing lately and I was like I feel like I need a push and I need help right now and I don't know I don't feel like I'm going to find it in therapy and a lot of it has to do with like my body and the physical sense of feeling good not Mm -hmm. like not the outward appearance of my body and so I was like finally I was like well what if I just like tried getting a personal trainer to see if that was like pushing me and I was like no that's so dumb that's such a narcissistic thing to do cut to you know what guys i got myself a personal trainer Good. and it feels like going to therapy it, it it the way it's helped me sleep better it's helped me like take better pride in what i'm eating and drinking it's reminded me what my body's capable of and and it reminded me that oh yeah self care doesn't always look the same for everybody and it that's like not, not and it all depends on like the intent that you're putting into anything like you can go to therapy and also like not get what you want out of it if you're not really showing up. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also go, you can do anything if you're not like showing up to kind of explore what what you can get out of it. I completely um, agree. Yeah. And so it was funny. It's like it all self self-care looks different for everybody. Um I think meditation's gonna be my next version of oh, that. Oh good. Um but yeah I'm like dipping my toe. The go you know? at own speed. Yeah. Um you know I've downloaded the apps a million times, but it but it, it was taking that first step. It's always like Looking up the like, I always get my find my therapist from PsychologyToday.com. Really? Uh, yeah, that's where I always get my therapist or a friend recommendation. Okay. I've seen multiple friends' therapists. Um, I'm sure people would have different opinions on that, <laughs> but it's worked <laughs> it's out for not most. Neither third, here nor there, nor right now. There. Um, and then yeah, and then it's just taking that first step to be like, I'm gonna set up this appointment. Or I'm going to get the app and put 10 minutes on the clock and just show up for myself. Or I'm gonna let myself cry
0: while I watch America's Got Talent with my three-year-old. Yeah, because you know what? You can. Because you can. And can it- you tell me more about directionally challenged <laughs> real fast? Because like I listen to it and I always want to call it undirectionally something else, <laughs> and that's not right. It's directionally challenged, but that's very on brand to just have like a
1: very messy version of the name. Yes, <laughs> um, we it's uh, it's a podcast that I have with uh, Kaylee Yule. We both worked with each other on The Vampire Diaries. Um, many moons ago, and we've become and stayed best friends ever since. Yay! She's and she the just best. had a baby, she right? She just had a baby. She's freaking superwoman. Um, and uh, yeah, we started this podcast uh, a little over a year ago. Wow. We we like to say that we're women in our 30s who thought we'd have things figured out, and we don't, and that's okay. So we stop and get directions from some people who might have it figured out.
0: I need lots of directions. So
1: do we. Um, we have some really fun guests. We do like some celebrity interviews. If you did watch Vampire Diaries, we have some cast members that join us. But then we also have, um, like we've had... Gail Simmons from Top Chef talking about like just food and how much we, we like all the all the recipes that made us since childhood. We've had um, Aisha Tyler on with a friend of ours, Karina McKenzie. Love her. Um, Just like two amazing women who are really, really close friends to show like how important it is to surround yourself with people that are going to cheer you on. Um, We've had, uh, we've even had a porn star on the show. Stop it. Who? Yes. Her name is, well, adult film star. Sorry, Tanya, adult film star. Mm -hmm. Um, But she is like a badass entrepreneur that actually runs her own PR company (sighs) and is a director and um we actually ended up talking about her fertility journey really yeah she um
0: she probably never shared that with anyone no
1: yeah she was like absolutely i can talk about the industry but if you want i just had a baby 10 months ago and i have this crazy like four year fertility journey that took (gasps) me all over the world exploring options um yeah from like Europe to like South America all over the place. It's a really, really fascinating story. Um, so we could better listen with the
0: porn story yeah, <laughs> so we're
1: kind of like, um we kind of take on a lot of topics, but we always try to learn something by the end. Like I was saying we we have someone who um uh, an episode coming out soon talking about meditation. And, and so that's something that Kayla grew up with. I did not really. So there's, you know, something that we were kind of learning together. Yeah. So all kinds of fun stuff. Oh yeah. Gosh. And you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast, or you can find us on Instagram at Candice Kayla is our.
0: And insta-name. you also are going to have a live show coming up. We do. It's
1: on September 4th okay. at the W here in Los Angeles. And if
0: this comes out after, I will be sure to cut this part out, <laughs> and I will dub in a voice, and I'm going to pretend to be you and be like, our new, you can do our new show is, and I was like, November 30th. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Now I end the show with the same question. Okay. It could be a light answer. It could be very deep. But, Candace, oh, what yes. makes you get up in the morning and continue on with your life?
1: Oh, what makes me get up in the morning and continue on with my life? Um, my husband's cup of coffee that he makes me most mornings because he's really good at making coffee and the fact that everyone needs food and to get to school. <laughs> It is. And I'm totally okay with that. It really is. Like I, I am not a morning person. You can ask my entire family. Like anytime that I suddenly like wake up and actually have energy, they're all like, are you okay? Like just shocked. Um, I'm, I'm a, I like used to be a night owl, never wake up in the morning. And I thought that that would change after I have kids. It doesn't. You're just way more tired all the time. (laughs) Um, but I'm totally okay with it because by the time, like, everyone's in school and everyone's, like, good and and everyone's, like, in their groove of their day, then I, I'm like, oh, this is it. Now I'm in the groove of my day. and like, I like, did it. Yeah. And it's, like, been a journey already.
0: And you, like, made someone. Like, you yeah. made a person. I had help.
1: I did have help. But you made a person. I grew the person, <laughs> yeah. I, I grew her myself he yeah um which was that that's been pretty cool but yeah it's like it's you know just it's nice to wake up in the morning i always lived alone That's been a really big adjustment. Is is
0: um, all the noise and chaos? (laughs)
1: Yes, and credit to my family for being patient with me. Between like me being weirdly obsessive about no, that's my suitcase, but I bought that hummus, and like you weren't supposed to eat that. Like just ridiculous, childlike things of like so obvious. I'd never really lived with roommates or anyone else, Um, and but it's nice to wake up and and hear the noise, and smell the smells, and and feel the, like, what what can, what can I help you with? Like, right. who needs to go where? We're all part of this machine together, right. so
0: it's a good machine. To well, you've already on. helped me with a lot, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're doing pretty well oh, so far. Thanks. I don't know about your kids, but uh, <laughs> you're helping me over here. Um, well, I love you so much, and I can't thank you enough for coming here, because this was just... You're so busy and you're so popular and you're so fun (laughs) and you're so sweet and you're like not real. No. And you're so famous in Japan that it's like, how did we get you here? I mean, that really is the that's the ticket right there.
1: (laughs) That's the only, yeah, my the rest of my day is really taken up with being a pop star in Japan. Japanese pop superstar.
0: Oh my god. Well thank you so much. And thank you for for coming on emotional support. Bye guys.